as soon as I hear it, it's the first thing that comes into my mind is, is some, something from my, my childhood. So um, there's, so there's a lot to do with that. But so now if I were to make myself nail it down to uh, favorite stuff, it probably comes down to Led Zeppelin, Guns N' Roses, and like Stevie Ray Vaughan, something like that. Um, there are a lot that fit into that. Uh, pretty much anything that's Chris Cornell related, whether it's Soundgarden or Audio Slave or Temple of the Dog, um, it, it, it's a lot of stuff. And he does a lot of covers that I only recently, I say recently, within the last couple of years, discovered how many times he's been doing live shows and he does covers. And so I end up going onto YouTube and and I'll listen to him do six or seven different covers that I'd never heard before. And uh, so it, it depends on mood, but like for Led Zeppelin, that's one that takes me back. It's connection with my mom uh, and all of that. But at the end of the day, I just really, really, really like Led Zeppelin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lessing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Today, we are getting off the Bruce Springsteen train, but I'm sure he will come up, as he always does. I have, um, I always hate to say the word oldest friends, but I guess we are getting old, but I have a friend that we are hitting a silver anniversary of our friendship easy right gary uh yeah we're looking at what is it 20 almost 20 yeah 25 years right at yeah it. yeah uh gary grant is um as i said we we worked together way back in the 90s we have remained friends he is one of my co-hosts of the podcast how many and um so for september for the whole anniversary month i was like hey everyone else on how many has been on the podcast you haven't gary and he says well okay then i'll go so welcome to the show thank you very much happy to be here yeah tell us a little about yourself um you mean musically or or whatever just (laughs) i okay like so like jesse said we go way back we uh i started working for jesse uh back in the mid 90s um he gave me an opportunity to move into uh, some software consulting or actually just, it wasn't software consulting at the time, but uh, just uh, working on the IT team doing a software implementation. And um, honestly, at that point, uh, things just, my, my life completely changed. So um, for those of you that don't know the story, uh, I owe Jesse a great deal. Uh, he, he gave me, he put me on a track that, I, I probably would not have been on otherwise. And it has been a fantastic ride literally all around the world. So um, uh, we, we go, we go way back, just like you said, and um, we share a love of a lot of things. Um, the sports uh, probably be, being the biggest one. When, when we go back to that, that was Jesse and I bonding over being um, cowboy fans, which was not easy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so at that point, we we had made it into the Barry Switzer area, yeah, and then beyond with Chan Gailey and 
and Dave Campo. And, and so those were ugly years in the beginning. And the fact that we were able to sit around and be optimistic about any of that is probably uh, a bond that can't be broken. Yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, Gary is, is passionate. Um, you know, I can one of my memories is um, when it was like the first time Cubans Mavericks had made a playoff series right and he's like if you get to it was an away game I, you probably you remember yeah. the yeah if you get here they will be a free ticket and Gary's okay I've got miles yep. <laughs> you know uh, no, it's funny is uh, Mark Simmons actually provided the miles we made a deal yeah um, I had season tickets at the time like a half season but yeah. I had season tickets to the Mavericks at the time and uh, Mark uh, Simmons is one of the guys that we worked with that was a former consultant that had come to work at bank tech. Yeah. And Mark and I were talking about it. As soon as I heard it, I said, I think I can get a couple of tickets uh, if you're interested in going. And Mark said, I've got a bunch of miles from when I was a consultant. I will book our plane tickets with miles. You get the hotel room. That'll be us splitting the cost of the trip. And then, you know, we'll get the tickets. And so we ended up getting tickets, but because we were a little bit late getting all of our travel arrangements made and sent mm -hmm. to the guy, um, my, my ticket agent, the guy that, that I bought my season tickets through, actually got us tickets uh, so that when we got there, we weren't sitting with the rest of the fans. We sat with the friends and family. Oh, how fun. So we were sitting next to Mark Cuban's girlfriend, which is now his wife. We were sitting next to Shaw Bradley's wife. Um, Chris Tucker was, was not very far away from us. Oh, uh, wow. come there. Mark Cuban had given him tickets to the game. And so we saw uh, Chris Tucker was there with us and it was a lot of fun, but you know, that game in Utah was, um, I learned a lot of people, a lot of stuff about the people from Utah that night. That. <laughs> things, that, things that I would not have expected. How funny. Yeah, that's good. Well, um, we're, I'm so glad you're here. And um, we always like to start at the beginning. So talk about, where did you grow up and what kind of music did your mom and dad listen to when you were a kid? Yeah. So um, I grew up just North of the Dallas area up near Denton There's a little town called Lake Dallas. Uh, if you're a ticket fan listening to this, which there are a few, I think uh, it's the home of David Mino, but um, I grew up in a small town right on the lake out kind of out in the country back then, back in the seventies and eighties. Um, my mom and dad split when I was about four. So I lived with my dad and my grandmother um, and an older sister in Lake Dallas. My mom lived in deep East Texas and a very small town out there where her family was from. And so I spent uh, most of the year in Lake Dallas. And then I spent the summers and uh, most of the holidays out in East Texas, out in the country. So I think one of the reasons why I have, I have a very, um, diverse musical tastes is because my parents had very diverse musical tastes. So my mom was into a lot of um, kind of hippie, but heavier rock stuff like uh, Led Zeppelin and Aerosmith, Fleetwood Mac. One of my mom's favorites was Super Tramp. And that's one of my favorites. Um, she was into um, the kind of rock and roll that was a a heavier rock at the time without being like metal, but yeah. you know, probably the closest version to it, it, it back in the early seventies. Um, that was the kind of stuff that my mom listened to. And so growing up when I was with her, that's what I listened to. 
So a lot of my musical tastes lean towards more of what my mom listened to than what my dad did. Um, because, because it was those really popular big bands um, at the time that my mom was always playing. Now, my dad was more of a Southern rock or um, old country yeah. listener. So there was a lot of Marshall Tucker and the Doobie Brothers, maybe the Allman Brothers. Um, I can remember listening to my dad had a Bob Seger record, like the album. Yeah. And I used to listen to all the time. Um, Molly Hatchet, things like that. But then he also listened to like Hank Williams. He also listened to Hank Williams Jr., but I'm talking about Hank yeah. Williams. He listened to Hank Williams and Bob Wills. And so I can remember listening to a lot of that very twangy, um, old country from uh you know 40s and 50s from from when my dad was a kid yeah so that's what what i got from him did and and it seems i don't know maybe i know now you tend to embrace and and when we have on how many a musical topic you know we'll discuss and you have a very wide palette but junior high and high school did you rebel against what your parents liked or were you kind of just always embraced it yeah it's so there was there's a piece of so that's probably where the split with my dad happened okay but not so much my mom because even in high school it was easy to um hang out with other kids that were my age and still hear led zeppelin and aerosmith and fleetwood mac and and you know, even like Queen, the Rolling Stones, um, things like that. So uh, Leonard Skinner. So things like that were uh, still very popular, especially in Lake Dallas. And I don't know, for those that are listening, if you don't know anything about Lake Dallas, um, it's it was a little bit of a drug town. Okay. For a small town in the middle of nowhere, there wasn't anything that you couldn't get in Lake Dallas. Okay. Uh, so lots of kids that I knew, not me, of course, but lots of kids that I knew were smoking pot and things like that when we were very young. Yeah. So, you know, it's not hard to convince a 14 year old that smoking weed to listen to Pink Floyd. Yeah. So uh, there was, there was probably a lot of that going on, um, but I just liked the music. So those were the kinds of music that I was into. Uh But now for me, I also had, uh, by then my dad had remarried and uh, the woman that he married had two older sisters or two daughters who were older than me. So that gave me three older sisters. So when I'm, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old, they are all high school age. And, uh, you know, we're talking in the mid 80s now, 82, 85, something like that. They were playing, you know, all of the Journey and Foreigner and Def Leppard and Sticks and Loverboy and Billy Squire things like that. And so I listened to some of that stuff with them because they were closer to my age and I thought that was cool. However, most of that stuff was still a little bit slow because as a, you know, teenage boy or a pre-teenage boy, um, as soon as the testosterone kicks in really good, um, it has to be louder and it has to be faster and it has to be maybe a little meaner. Mm-hmm. So for me, there was a lot of Metallica and Motorhead and Motley Crue, even in the early eighties. Um, some of the Van Halen stuff, obviously like Ozzy and Judas Priest, anything heavier like that is what I was into. And then of course, along comes Guns N' Roses 
and in the late 80s pantera and that was the stuff that i really embraced so like in 86 um is is when i first started playing football at high school and uh there was a station in dallas at the time called z-rock yeah and z-rock was just all metal all the time and so if you went into the weight room to lift weights and we were in there a lot like that's where we hung out on weekends and during the summer Mm -hmm. because in a small town there wasn't much else to do right and so it was you just blasting you know that was really heavy stuff anthrax and slayer and things that i don't even listen to now really so yeah um it was all super, super heavy. So I thought the, the heavy stuff that I listened to was pretty tame compared to all of that. But that was sort of my high school thing was all of that. And then, of course, we're talking late 80s. So there was some, you know, there was some rap mixed in with yeah. NWA and Too Short and, and things like that. So the harder, the better, both from a rap perspective and a metal perspective in those mid 80s to late 80s years when I was in high school. Did so we have a field trip coming up. Um, we're we're going to go see Kiss. <laughs> I mean, all the guys on how many were like, you know, and, and in high school, like I graduated high school in 77. Um, I went through a phase where Kiss Alive and Kiss Destroyer and Kiss and Rock and Roll Over, those eight tracks stayed in my player, right? Oh, yeah. You know, that was. And so I've never seen them live. And so I'm, kind of looking forward to this i i I've, I've show, not, man yeah that's what i've heard yeah it's great yeah. I've, I've seen kiss live twice I've, I've i've been to two kiss concerts uh the first one was that the 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 reunion tour that was it was literally it was right before i came to work at bank tech yeah they, they had come through dallas and i was still working at the music store at the time and uh, so we got tickets and went and that was great but uh when i was growing up i had a friend who had um every album by kiss that had ever been made the record the actual record vinyl even yeah. though vinyl was kind of out by then mm-hmm. um he had every kiss album every made he had three complete sets except for he only had uh one of the elder okay so he didn't have three complete sets but minus two copies of the elder he had three complete sets which i never understood uh, like, a, why do you need three complete sets? And why didn't you just get the elder since you were, that's all you're missing? Yeah, exactly. But, but, but he was, he played guitar. So even when we were in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, he could play yeah. guitar and he could play any of the kiss stuff, which included some tough stuff. Like I remember watching him play Mr. Speed and being amazed at what his hands were doing because mm-hmm. I couldn't, I'm not musically inclined in any way. Um, so, uh, my, my, I'm very, very analytical my, in my brain. So making music is very foreign to me. I love listening to it, but I, yeah. I, I couldn't, I watch people play and I'm amazed. So I uh, seeing him do that at such a young age was, was shocking. I can imagine. And I do, for those of us who aren't musical, it, it is almost like it's magic. Like I'll, you know, you'll see on v- I, I've seen it live when I've seen Bruce or like, you know, a YouTube where he picks up a sign and, you know, they're like, I was in Nashville and, um, you know, someone had a sign play satisfaction and he's like, okay, let's play satisfaction. And now I'm sure as, you know, someone growing up, you know, and playing in 
garage bands and bar bands in the 70s he had played a rolling stone but it's still like they're not rehearsing anything we're just like hey let's play this song and you're like how can you do that just just let's figure it out and uh i i love that when it happens yeah it's it's shocking and and you know i'll say it's one thing to see somebody like him do that yeah right because like you said he's he's been doing it his whole life right so the amount of time that he must spend just playing music and then playing stuff that's not his because he's kind of tired of playing his right so I'm sure he's, and, and all of them are the same. Everybody in the band is the same way. Yeah. And so he probably doesn't grab a sign if it's not satisfactory. Right. He knows everybody's right. going to know. Yeah. But when you, when you meet somebody that can just like, I've seen people do it where they listen to a song and they'll grab their guitar or whatever, and they'll kind of pick along with it. And then, but in two minutes, they're playing along with the song and you're like, how in the world can you do that? Like, I don't understand this. Why well, play? I play the piano by ear. What What does that mean? I mean, I I can touch piano keys, but I don't connect that. You hold these three keys, and that's kind of a chord. And I hear that chord, and I can make that. You know, yeah. I, I just it, it's 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 wizardry. It is. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Which it burned at the stake like 50 or 500 years ago. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so as you've kind of and grown into adulthood, um, you have a couple of favorite bands. And so I thought we just would kind of talk about that and kind of go through your top three to five, whatever, however you're comfortable with, and kind of share a little bit about why their music spoke to you okay uh, uh so favorite bands is very difficult for me because a lot of it depends on my mood i like i literally just create playlists according yeah. to my moods and um, that's interesting i had a guy on the phone that earlier um a couple of years ago he and he talked about the whole theme was i have a running playlist i yeah. have a cleaning the house playlist i have a driving in my car playlist i have a i i want to go to sleep playlist i mean you know i mean he and they were all different playlists for all this different tasks he had yeah now mine isn't as much task related as like i was just kind of moodish yeah but like i have one called fast and loud yeah and now if i'm at the gym it's fast and loud Right. Uh, but I could be driving. And if I'm in that kind of a mood, it's probably windows down fast and loud. Right. And then the other times when like I'm on my way home and it's late at night and, I, and I'm, I'm already winding down so that when I get here, I'm not up for another two hours. Right. And so then there's a mellow playlist that I've got that's that's just called soft and low. Yeah. And then I've got another one that is um, like it's a wild conglomeration of music from my youth and it's called my youth. And it's from like 82 to probably 88 or 89, something like that. And it can be anything from like weird pop stuff from the early eighties that junior and, and Bob really love yeah, to super heavy stuff that I was listening to in high school. So, I mean, I could be driving along 
and I'm listening to craft work and uh, the next song might be Pantera. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's things that just for whatever reason, they connect me to my youth yeah. um, and a time and place. And so as, as soon as I hear it, it's the first thing that comes into my mind is, is some, something from my, my childhood. So um, there's, so there's a lot to do with that. But so now if I were to make myself nail it down to uh, favorite stuff, it probably comes down to Led Zeppelin, Guns N' Roses. Um and like Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. Something like that. Um, there are a lot that fit into that. Uh, pretty much anything that's Chris Cornell related, whether it's Soundgarden or Audio Slave or Temple of the Dog. Um, it, it, it's a lot of stuff. And he does a lot of covers that I only recently, I say recently, within the last couple of years, discovered how many times he's been doing live shows and he does covers. Uh-huh. And so I end up going onto YouTube and and I'll listen to him do six or seven different covers that I'd never heard before. And yeah. Uh, so it, it depends on mood, but like for Led Zeppelin, um, that's one that takes me back. It's connection with my mom uh, and all of that. But at the end of the day, I just really, really, really like Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Um, the trippy stuff, especially if you happen to be listening to it, um, either wearing headphones or preferably like, in a car with a really good sound system yeah. or at home with a really good sound system where the music moves and they right. did a lot of that stuff back in the seventies because everybody was high. But um, I just really, really like it. It's always been something that I really like. And then the lyrics to Led Zeppelin stuff are really cool. And I know a lot of it is a ripoff. A lot of it is uh, covers that they stole from other people. Um, it doesn't matter because I like their version of it. Yeah. So I've always just been a huge Led Zeppelin fan. That's one that's been my whole life. Um, the Guns N' Roses thing is part of it is right place, right time. Like they had a sound that I love and they came along at a time when, you know, um, young and immature Gary was, was getting flooded with hormones yeah. and was in the weight room three or four hours a day. And all I wanted to do was listen to that. Yeah. And, you know, and they, and for, for a, for a really pivotal time in my life from about 86, 87 to about 93, they were massive. Right. And everything that they turned out was go- like, it didn't matter anything in that time frame, which there's only like what, four CDs, three or four CDs in that time frame. literally every single song, zero misses for me like i know yeah. that isn't for everybody but for me yeah there are only there's a limited number of of cds or whatever that i can point you to that i can say every single track all the way through nothing misses and yet they did it like four cds in a row yeah you know we we we've talked about this that um you know i had the guy who does the guns of roses podcast on and you know he sent me a playlist and you went no 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 jesse yeah. no 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 this is way too much chinese democracy yeah, yeah like yo no 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 here let me give you this and, and and i've really enjoyed listening to that and sharing and uh it is and you're are you a fan of the whole career i mean are, are those four or five core cds or so- after that they like they did a thing called the spaghetti incident which was a lot of it was all covers mm-hmm. um a lot of it was like 
uh, 70s, like British, there was some British punk stuff and things mm-hmm. like that. Now, I liked it, but I can tell you that most people, even hardcore Guns N' Roses fans, hated it. But as we established earlier, I have a very wide array of music that I like to begin with. So, you know, if you played Black Flag or some other punk band um, from the 70s or 80s, King's X, whatever, there's a pretty good chance that I was going to like some of it. So it's not shocking to me that I liked Spaghetti Incident, but a lot of people didn't. Um, Everything that they did short of Chinese democracy, which uh, was after almost everybody was out of the band except for Axel. Yeah. And um, they sat on it for like 10 years and just really overdid it. And when it finally came out, I, I wanted to hear it so bad. And then when I listened to it, I was so disappointed that it was about, it was two or three years before I listened to it again. And now there are, there are a few songs on there that I actually like, but there it's, it's almost like the Van Halen thing. Yeah. Where there's the David Lee Roth Van Halen and there is the Sammy Hagar Van Halen. And a lot of people are very, very firmly in one camp or the other. I like both. I just view them as two different bands that happen to have the same name because you know, their sound was different. I, 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 re- I remember that from our discussion and that's something you've always um, been firm about that, you know, they are, it, it is two separate entities. Now there are, there are certain, you know, core members of the same and everything and uh, rest in peace, Eddie, but it is that by changing the front man, you know, and we just did that front man episode. Right. Um, yeah, very different bands, but both, you know, equally successful and equally enjoyable. Sure. Yeah. yeah for, for me, at least. I mean, obviously not everybody agrees, but that's okay. Yeah. That's what's beautiful about music. It, it truly is. Um, so talk about some of the live shows you've gone to. Now, seen Guns N' Roses multiple times? Oh, or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> It seems like most of the time, if they if they come through Dallas, I probably go. Okay. Um, the first time that I saw them was, I, I always get this date wrong, and I look it up every once in a while um, because I've seen them a few times. But I I think it was '92. Okay. They came through, and it was a double headliner with Metallica, but Faith No More was opening, so it was Faith No More, and then uh, Guns N' Roses, and then Metallica at Texas Stadium. And um, the a show or two before the Texas Stadium show, they were in Montreal, and it's where I don't know if you remember this or not, but um, the lead singer for Metallica, James Hatfield, had got hit by some pyrotechnics and burned his arm really badly. Mm, okay, and he he couldn't play guitar, and so I think they may have missed a show or two. I'm not sure, but the first show they did when he came back. Um, and all he did was sing. They had somebody else playing guitar, uh, was the Dallas show. And so we were the first ones to get to see him after he had burned himself. But, um, that show with, with, was the first time I'd ever seen guns and roses. And I can't even tell you what a wild spectacle that was, man. We were at Texas stadium from like, it was really early in the day, maybe, I don't know, one or two o'clock in the afternoon or something like that yeah. until midnight. Or, or maybe even a little bit yeah. after midnight with, with all three of the shows. And then of course there are delays because Axel's kind of an a-hole. So it, 
there's like one of the bands finishes and then there's a big gap before they finally come out and they were supposed to come out way before that. Um, so it was, it was wild, but man, when we went home, I was drenched in sweat. I smelled like weed because the guy behind us was selling weed. <laughs> so there were people coming from other places and buying weed from him and we had terrible seats. So we're sitting, you know, kind of up high and he's, they're like sitting down next to him and then smoke, like they bought it from him. So yeah. why not hang out here and smoke it? Yeah. So we're just sitting there getting weed smoke blown on us all day long and drenched in sweat and everything else. And I remember waking up the next morning, of course, as a teenager, you get home, you don't, it's not like you're going to take a shower or something. Yeah. So I wake up the next morning and I, and I stink. Oh my God. <laughs> I smelled so bad when I woke up. I was like, I can't believe this, but the first thing I'm going to do when I wake up in the morning is take a shower, wash my clothes, wash my sheets, like everything's yeah. going to be washed. This is terrible. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen them. And then we saw them when they came back just a couple of years ago, 2017, I think okay, something like that. And uh, Sean Murphy, you remember Sean? Sure. Sean uh, and his wife, Ashley, and then me and Faith uh, went to that show. We had floor seats. It was so loud. It was so great. So yeah, that was, that was a really good show, but probably doesn't compare to the 92 show. Yeah. Um, what are other memorable shows that you've gone to for any band? Uh, first show I ever went to, I was about, I want to think I was maybe six or five, yeah. something like that. Um, and my mom and my stepdad at the time wanted to see Willie Nelson and he was playing at some, like at a fair or some sort yeah. of thing in Louisiana. And uh, my mom, like I said, she lived way out in deep East Texas. So, you know, right into Louisiana for the concert was like maybe 45 minutes, or sure, an hour. Um, and we went, so we went, and even at that age, I still remember, this is why this is such a memorable thing for me. Even at that age, I understood how weird this was. Um, I don't remember what the opening acts were and everything else, but now I remember when they came out and the stage is real dark, but you can see people kind of moving around, yeah. setting some gear up, doing some sound checks and things like that. And then the band members come out and you can see them come out and everybody take their place and get their guitars or whatever. And the very first thing they did, the lights turned on like in a flick of the switch turned on and they said they played whiskey river. Yes. And for those that don't know that song, it doesn't start with like a musical intro. It starts with whiskey river. Take my mind. Like that's yeah. the first thing. And when he, as soon as he said whiskey river, a, a Texas flag, the size of the stage dropped behind them. Yeah. And it was their backdrop for the entire concert. And I remember poking my mom and going, that's the Texas flag. And she said, yeah. And I said, but we're in Louisiana. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, yeah, but he's from Texas. And I was yeah. like, all right. Yeah. So yeah. Willie Nelson, very first show I ever went to. Um, I, I went to, I remember when I was working at Blockbuster before I uh, came to work at Bank Tech. Yeah. I went to a Pantera show, uh, which was back then at the Starplex, whatever it's called now. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember it, it was a little bit like, I don't remember if it was rainy or if it had rained before or whatever, but yeah. essentially the mosh pit out in the grass was truly a mosh pit. Right. And um, we drank a lot that night and, and things got a little out of control. 
And uh, I, I know when I got home the next day, or when I woke up the next day, um, my t-shirt, what was left of my t-shirt uh-huh. was on the back patio with one boot that was covered in mud. Yeah. And I don't know what happened to the other boot. <laughs> like, I don't know. I know I must've lost it in the mud. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I came home apparently with wearing one boot and a ripped up t-shirt. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Starplex is one of those where it's a, there is an auditorium, you know, there's a stadium, I guess, amphitheater, you know, and then, you know, so there's limited seating that, and then there's just this huge lawn. And, uh, and for the while that was where, you know, every summer show was, I mean, I remember seeing the beach boys there multiple times. I, I, you know, um, Elton John and, you know, so it, a lot of fun. Um, Willie Nelson was one of my first concerts too. He was playing in Lake Charles, Louisiana. This is before Lynn and I moved up here. And um, I remember going, he's got two drummers. How freaking <laughs> cool is that? And, and then uh, Mickey, I can't remember his last name, but his harmonica player. And I was like, you know, how you have a harmonica player, like everyone else, toting you know all these equipment and you know you know mickey raphael or whatever is like you know pulls his harmonica out of his shirt pocket like okay i'm ready to jam so the roadies loved him yeah absolutely um and you know it's amazing at willie's age he's still uh, i'm sure if we went to a show we would have a blast we're going in october oh you guys are that's because this is what when we had this conversation about the bands of your life and and one yeah. of the was first concert you ever went to and i talked about willie and then later on yeah. we were talking and bob said you know it's weird but i've never even seen willie nelson i was like you got to be kidding me and so we had been looking for we take those you know we do the little weekend trips with the sure. guys every once in a while and um we've been kind of looking for something to do anyway and when we figured out that willie was playing uh down near austin um in october we were like there's the trip yeah there you go so we bought some tickets and we booked uh, an airbnb for the guys and and we're gonna we're gonna go see willie in october first time bob's ever gonna see him hopefully he makes it yeah that should be yeah bob as we're recording this is in new york city uh <laughs> you know he's he, there he keeps posting him and brian i guess went right yep, yep. and so there he keeps posting pictures and uh you know it's funny the they posted a picture from Krispy Kreme where you can get a big apple donut because before we hit recorded we were talking about donuts and so yeah so they posted a great picture um so what are some bands that surprised you live you know like you mentioned you know, like either opening acts or other things that maybe yeah um so we were going to uh the Bronco Bowl. We were going to the Bronco Bowl to see um, Poe and yeah. was it Poe and Garbage? Okay. And um, oh no, no, I take that back. We're going to see Garbage and Seven Mary Three. Okay. And Poe was the opening act, and I and I know there is like a 
a one percent chance you know who I'm talking about. Probably not. Right. And and almost nobody listening has anybody <laughs> what I'm talking about. But there was this band mid '90s, like '96 or something like yeah. that. Uh, this band called Poe, P-O-E, just like Edgar Allan Poe, mm-hmm. um, female lead singer. And they had one kind of hit um, called Angry Johnny. Okay. Um, but that was one of those things. That was at the time I was working at the music store. And we went to the concert. And then I hear this band and I'm like, I really liked a lot of the stuff they were doing. It was weird, though. It was like yeah, very different than most of the stuff that I listened to. And so when I got back to the music store, sure enough, we had one of their CDs in there and I listened to it and then I bought it and I still listen to it all the time. And that was 20 something years ago. And it was really the only, they haven't done much more than that. And, and yet that one CD track after track, it's, it's quirky. It's eccentric. Like, I honestly, I think you probably should listen to it because I think you might like it. Yeah, I made and a note to go check it out. That's, junior, that's... junior would hate it, but yeah. Wow. Um, and then there's so there's a song called "Trigger Happy Jack" and "Angry Johnny," where mm-hmm. I think both of them may have gotten a little bit of radio play, but all the songs on there are awesome, and and but they're very weird. Yeah, um, definitely not in my my wheelhouse of normal music. But that was one that really sticks out to me. I remember I loved Garbage, I loved Seven Mary Three, but when we left that show all I think I talked about the whole ride home was Poe. That opening band. Wow. So Bronco Bowl is one of my regrets and I don't know how I miss this, but um, you know, you guys know uh, how big of a Sarah Hickman fan I am and, and how we had gotten to be close. Well, she told the story that she opened for Bruce Springsteen at the Bronco Bowl, oh. like 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 the Ghost of Tom Joad tour or something, he was playing at the Bronco Bowl, and I'm like, how did I miss? Because you know, I would always try to see Sarah whenever she played, mm-hmm. and and so and she said she didn't get to meet Bruce or anything. She just went in, she played a few songs, and then they did this. So she's going to be on the podcast uh, later in a couple weeks. So I, I will definitely ask her that question, now, but like. You- did you ever go to the Bronco Bowl for anything else? No, I didn't. And I regret that because it's the I hear. the best venue I've ever been to. That's what I hear. I, Jesse, I don't care if you found the, the corner seat on the top row. Yeah. You still feel like you could spit on the singer. Wow. It's so intimate. And when we were there, we had floor seats. And yeah. back, at, back then when I worked at the music store, every concert we went to, we had good seats. Right. Like even if it kind of broke the bank a little bit, none of us had any other things that we needed to pay for back then. So I right. didn't really care if we went to a show, we were going good seat show most right. of the time. And um, they had a, they had the, all of the, the regular seating, the, but then they had the, the general admission was on the floor mm-hmm. and man, I've been this way my whole life. I still do this. If I'm going to something, this general admission, I will show up early because yes. I'm not going to stand in the back at general admission. Right. And so I literally, for that entire show, the, the, the post that stops me from getting to the stage mm-hmm. was against my stomach all night. I yeah. never, I was within a foot of the stage all night. It wow. was awesome. No, I, I didn't go there, but I did. Um, when Lynn and I were dating, um, so this had to been, 
82, maybe 83, because we got married in 84. Um, Carl Wilson had left the Beach Boys and uh, and he had put out a solo album. And uh, we were visiting in Dallas. Linda's brother lived in Garland. And the morning news had that Carl Wilson was playing the Agoria Ballroom off Northwest Highway, you know. And so Linda and I went to see him and it was, you know, it, it, it was a great venue, but it was such a treat that because I had seen the Beach Boys perform live often, but to see him on one of his rare solo, because then later he fixed everything and, you know, him and the Beach Boys are back together. But um, that I, I can only imagine being single and having not that much overhead the amount like okay because dallas it there's there's plenty of live music there's plenty of venues whether deep ellum or the bronco bowl or you know starplex or wherever to go see so yeah i can imagine you know there's always another show and you could justify well and it's my industry right it's my business i need to do this yeah yeah i never thought of it like that back then but looking back absolutely but back then it was just yeah it was just the world we were immersed in i mean it was it was all music all the time so all we did was we went we went to sporting events a lot yeah. of mass games because they were terrible back then and it was easy to get tickets went to a, a lot of sporting events went to a lot of concerts and i went to a lot of movies yeah like that was that was life for about five six seven years yeah that's 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 cool that's that's pretty amazing um any other shows from the road what's the furthest you've gone for a tour for a for a show like you know traveled i know some people that does like you've done some some of that yeah um i have a friend that used to work at the music store who would go see the pet shop boys in london wow that's every year and so he would go to london he would spend two or three weeks over there go to a show come back, pay off his credit card debt from going over there and then save money all year long to go back again next year. But he just, he did it every year. Yeah. Um, the furthest I've ever gone for a show, like that going from, going from East Texas to Louisiana might've been it. Yeah. Like I, I haven't been to many shows outside of the DFW area. Now I, I went to London to watch a football game. Yes. Yeah. I, but, I, but I haven't got, I, but I would love to. Like going and seeing a concert somewhere that I'd never been before in another country. It's that's kind of a bucket list item that fascinates me. Although I don't know who it would be now. So what's interesting is, um, you know, you have had to travel in, in your role as a, you know, a software consultant and implementator. So you would think you would have seen, you know shows where you're going um now you've done a few sports venues though right yeah yeah, yeah. like i had a job where we were working out in the bay area we'd go to oakland A's games on tuesdays because they had uh free parking yeah and then of course nobody goes to oakland A's games so you can get uh we got tickets uh free parking and we were in the first row of the second deck directly behind home plate amazing tickets and I think they were 22 bucks or yeah. 26 bucks or something like that. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. 
um, you know, I, I I went I went to a Durham Bulls game. So oh, that's how fun! A cool thing when I was working yeah. out in Durham. Um, I I don't get out as much when I am traveling for work. When I very first started, I would do that a little bit, but right. um, I kind of stopped when I got older. Part of it being just because um, every time I would go out back then, especially when I was in my late twenties everybody wanted to go out and they wanted to drink and they wanted yeah. to eat and they want to do all this stuff. And I'm like, and I got to get up really early in the morning and I have to be effective at work. And right. I can't do that if I'm hungover. Yeah. And so I kind of stopped going out with the groups. Um, not too long into it. Now I did travel once maybe kind of reminded me of this. Um, we went and saw George Carlin in Vegas. Wow. That's cool. But, and that was a really small, there, I think that venue held like 2000 people. Yeah. So that was really, really cool getting to see Carlin in a, in a stage like that. Oh, but I bet that that's, that's definitely something. I was trying to think no, of the well. places that I'd traveled to see things and that one popped into my head. Yeah. Um, so I know the answer to this, but our audience doesn't talk about the strangest place you lived for a while. <laughs> um. Well, I lived in Canada for a while. That wasn't too strange. Um, you're probably referring to the Middle East. Yes. Um, and that was very, very strange. I was actually just having this conversation with somebody a couple of days ago because um, we were talking about uh, the, the Olympics having yeah. just gone on. Um, and I knew a girl that worked on the Olympic Committee in Qatar, which is where I was uh, working in Doha. Um, and we were talking about life over there is just different. Like they don't have addresses mm-hmm. An entire country. There's no address to anything. Um, the way you find anything is by landmarks. And I can literally remember being in the post office. There was one post office in the whole country. I remember being in the post office and there were boxes that were being delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the boxes, instead of having an address on it, had directions. Oh, how funny. And so people would literally write on their, um, some landmark, like go to landmark mall, um, behind the mall, third street, uh, fourth house down on the right, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's got a blue gate or something weird. Like there were directions like that on the box for, for dropping that thing off. It was just odd. Um, there's, there's no alcohol in the country except, there's one liquor store again in the entire country. Yeah. And you have to have a license to go there. So they, they give you a license to allow you to go into it. Um, and, and you're, you've got a, a preset spending limit for the month and it's based on your income. So the more money you make, the more alcohol you're allowed to buy. Right. Um, and then, and then inside hotels, inside hotels, they'll have bars and in, in those bars, they have alcohol. Yeah. nowhere else and so i was asking her i'm like how in the world are you guys going to have the world cup here mm-hmm. and tell a bunch of italians and germans and and brits yeah and french guy that they can't drink yeah while watching soccer and uh i get the feeling that they're just going to suspend all of their rules during that time but so because i if i remember correct there was all kinds of law of rules and laws about you going to the liquor store 
and having to go straight back home. I mean, do straight not back. click go. No. Do not click two hundred dollars. Yeah, Don't stop and get right. If something terrible happened, like if you got into an accident on the way back, they know where the liquor store is, and they're going to find out where it is that you live. And if you're not on the road between those two, you're in trouble because that meant that you weren't going home. Yeah. Or directly home anyway. So. How long did you stay over there? I was there two years, April of 2008 until like May or June, 2010. Wow. That yeah, um, was a trip. Was, I, I'll tell you what, man, I, I'll say this. I've said this to a lot of people uh, just having casual conversations about things. And it kind of comes up. Um, I, I'll be... I'd readily admit as much as anybody else that the, the United States is not a perfect place. Right. But until you go outside of your comfort zone and you leave this country and you go somewhere very, very different yeah. and spend some time, you don't realize and that we are in this country. People talk about the 1%. Yeah. This country is the 1%. Right. Even the people that have it bad here, have it so much better than people that have it that the people that are middle class in other countries, yeah. not all countries, you know, there's sure. obviously a lot of the Western world is just as civilized and up to date as we are, but, and some more so, but until you leave, you don't realize like, like the racism over there, mm-hmm. you can't, it, it had to have been what it was like in like the fifties or, or something here. Yeah. Because, and not so much against me, uh, although in the pecking order over there, it was uh, anyone that's from that general area, not necessarily Cutter, but yeah. you know, Middle Eastern in general, there, there's there's them, and then there's a little gap, and then there's uh, Western, so Europeans, Americans, uh, Canadians, uh, and then there's a significant gap, and then there's anybody with a little more melatonin in their skin. Whether wow. they be from like the Philippines or India or Nepal, Sri Lanka, most of the guys that go over there to work in the refinery were from those countries, and um, the, the the entire country of Qatar had about two hundred fifty or three hundred thousand citizens, and at the at the time that I was there, even way back then, um, I think there were like one point two or one point three million expats from other countries so like the people that weren't from there outnumbered the people that were from there like six or seven yeah. to one. now i i just recently had a guy on the podcast that his wife is going to um is going to be in um i believe i believe it's africa I, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember but anyway um and he he's she's there she's working for a petroleum company and you know he said that one of the things that they're going to do because he says well, there's some beautiful golf courses but there isn't a lot to do in this country but you are within traveling distance of a lot of other places he mm-hmm. said where you can do that didn't you do some of that yeah uh, we had rotations set every every three months we'd work for three months and then we'd take three weeks off Uh, And we were all on different rotations so that we were, some of us were always there. Right. Um, For for the most part, most of the guys, whenever, most of the guys that I worked with are from Texas or Louisiana because it was the oil industry. Sure. Um, 
everybody else, whenever they got their three weeks off, they would come home and spend three weeks with family or, or whatever. But I was single at the time. Yeah. And so um, having done a little bit of research before I left, I discovered the expat benefits. And if you come home three weeks, every three months, you quickly get out of um, expat benefits. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to lose those because the expat tax breaks are phenomenal and you can make a lot of money, like more money than I made when I worked at bank tech in tax savings. Wow. So um, the guy that I worked for, uh, the guy at Conoco um, and Exxon was, he was very laid back and very cool. When we would fly home, we flew business class. So that was like $6,000 ticket. Yeah. And I asked him once, I said, if I spend less than $6,000, do you care where I go? And he said, no, not at all. And so I just started using that three weeks to go different places around the world and letting them pay for it and getting business class tickets to do it because the most expensive business class ticket that I could get was the one to come home. Yeah. So whether I went to um, Europe or you know Paris or London or wherever, uh, Rome or whether we went to over to Asia, went to Thailand. Um, I came back here once for Chris Skinner's wedding. Yeah. Um, I was in, I was in town for like three days to do the wedding stuff. And then I went to Costa Rica and stayed down there for almost three weeks, came home, spent a day or two with family and then went right back. Yeah. Um, Cause you have to stay out of the country 30 days of the year. If you, if you're, if you're, well, you can't be home more than 30 days. Okay. So 330 days, you have to be out of country Yeah, and 30 days you can be in country and they count everything that if, if I, if I touch down at um, 11 PM mm-hmm. in Dallas and by midnight, I've now been home two days. Wow. So like they, 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 they count everything. So I made sure that I was not even close to 30 days over the course of the year, because it just saved a lot of money. Yeah. And in the meantime, you know, I literally filled up my passport going other places and letting them pay for it. So That's, it was a lot of fun. That was a very cool job. Yeah. That, that sounds like a lot of fun. That was really great. You know, some of the guys were actually there a little longer than I was, but if completely honest, it got to the point with the, with the racism that I almost, it was very difficult not to say anything. And, and, and if I had stayed there, I probably would have at some point. Yeah. But my roommate was a very good friend of mine who I'd worked with previously. Um, He was originally from Pakistan, but raised in Bahrain and then moved to Canada when he was like 15. Uh And uh, I met him when I was working in Canada. So we worked together up there. And then when I got the chance to go back to the Middle East, we needed somebody else. And I called him and asked him if he was interested. And he was very interested because it was huge raise over being an employee where he was working. Um, And so he came with us. And so when we were over there, we all had roommates. Well, Azaz and I knew each other. So when we got there, we were roommates. Yeah. Um, And he was treated extremely badly, Mm. especially when he was alone. If he was with us, they left him alone because we were white. Right. But like he wasn't allowed to go to movie theaters or restaurants or the golf course. We played golf like twice a week there. Uh-huh. He wasn't allowed to go to the golf course. We lived at the Pearl, which is kind of like that, the, uh, the man-made Island in Dubai. Yeah. They have one of those in Qatar too. It's called the Pearl. Um, we lived at the Pearl in these apartments that were like $20,000 a month that 
obviously they paid for. Yeah. Um, and if he came home, if he wasn't in the car with one of us, they wouldn't let him to the gates. Wow. Cause they're like, you don't, you don't live here. Yeah. Go back to where, go back to where you live. And he's like, I come through these gates every day. Doesn't yeah. Matter. It doesn't matter. So wow. That's, that's crazy, Gary. It's tough to look at every single day. I bet it is. Yeah. And, and it is, um, I, that's a unique perspective. Um, thank you. I, I appreciate the travel stories. That was kind of a curve thrown on you, but I, I knew that my listeners would do it. All right. We, we talked about this when we did bands of our lives. So, um, who haven't you seen live that you're now going, I need to see. You know, I, even when we did Bands of Our Lives, I gave an answer to this. And when I gave the answer, I thought, you know, that's, I mean, it's true, but it's really not true. Yeah. So what I'll say is this. I don't go to as many of those concerts as I used to, because if I'm honest, I don't like being around large groups of people. Sure. Um, people annoy me when they're in groups. Um, there's just way too much of, of uh, not being cognizant of the fact that you're not the only person on the planet. Yes. When you're the- around 50,000 other people stars of the people that star in the they're on they're the star of their own movie you know right. i think is a ticket yeah. line but yeah yeah they yeah. they look left and walk right and and, and yeah. get mad if they bump into something yeah so i don't do this as much as i used to primarily for that reason but what i have noticed and and the trip to uh see willie nelson in october is is a prime example the trip to see kiss with you guys is another yeah. prime example where i sort of it's not really a rule but I will do it because at this point, and you know, maybe I sound like I'm 50 because I'm almost 50. Yeah. Um, I am more in tune with the experiences that I have than with seeing it an actual, the actual band that I'm going to see. Yeah. It's the group that's going, I mean, I am, I'm excited about seeing kiss, but I am excited just that we're doing a field trip. We're going to go. And as we're talking, we're going to go eat somewhere first, you know, we're going to all be, you know, go together. It's, it's going to be this sense of, you know, uh, Detroit rock city, like the movie, right? Like we're oh, going to be, movie, yeah. yes, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's stuff like that. So if I was, if I was trying to make a bucket list of who I haven't seen that I I would still like to see. Yeah. I don't even know what the real answer to that is. Yeah. But it's mostly when do I get an opportunity to go? Because like if you're asking, Gary, I'll let you go see anybody you want to see, but yeah. you get one ticket and you're going by yourself, I probably wouldn't even go. Now see, but I would love like Bob, Chris, you know, you, I go somewhere and see Springsteen, right? Because yeah. it would be so much fun. We'd have fun with Poochie, you know, you and Bob Jr. And, you know, and, and the experience of, okay, we're ready to harass Jesse because he's yep. going to his church and, you know, <laughs> and, and this all thing. And I would do that in a second. Yeah, because that would be, yeah, and I would love it. I mean, I do think that would be because it would be experience you know it would be a lot of fun and junior would be holding this sign santa claus coming to town because what other song <laughs> can you do yeah uh, yeah um so gary is there anything i should have asked you that i haven't i don't know i mean I, we, we touched on a little bit of everything i'll say since we're i think we've got we still have the one more question left right yeah um so before we get to the the question of mary yeah um i'll say this as far as bruce goes because i know this is a bruce centric podcast yes most of the time yes um i have been a a casual bruce fan 
my whole life. Right. Like it, cause obviously some of his biggest hits were from right around the time that I was born. Yeah. Um, and yet I know those songs. Like I know born to run. It doesn't matter that it came out when I was three. Yes. Um, so he has, he has an enduring quality to his songwriting that isn't as uh, centered on a place and time as a lot of artists are. Yeah. Like I, I look, I go back and listen to shout at the devil now by Motley Crue. And as much as I loved it in 1982, now it's cheesy. Mm-hmm. His stuff doesn't age like that. Yeah. So um, there's an enduring quality, but I'll say this. One of the things that I've prepared to say uh, before we started all this, when you told me that, that we were going to talk about what, what we were going to talk about. Yeah. Um, my hometown is my favorite Bruce Springsteen song. Yeah. And not being a hardcore Bruce Springsteen fan like you and a lot of your audience. Yeah. I don't have a clue where that falls in the pantheon of Bruce Springsteen songs to somebody who is a hardcore Bruce Springsteen right. fan. I just yeah. know when I listen to it, yeah. it makes me think about the small town where I grew up. Yeah. And so it's very nostalgic every time I hear it, no matter when it is. You know, what's, what's interesting is, you know, he did um, a podcast with um, Barack Obama this past year. You know, they did, I think it was six episodes or something. And in one of them, um, Barack asked him to play My Hometown. And, and Bruce talked about writing it and doing it. And uh, like Bruce finishes and he goes, pretty good song. And Obama goes, great song, (laughs) you know. Um, So I think the issue that, and and I've talked a lot about this with my recent guests, is um, there is, there's always, to put it in terms of, you know, sports fandom, right? Like, oh, I can't stand the Cowboys because they're America's team. Well, first off, we didn't make that label. We don't talk about it. You know, we're, you know, um, but there's some Springsteen fans like, well, born in the USA, that's, you know, that isn't even close to his greatest album. It was his, but it was his most successful, you know, he had so many hits off of it. And the reality is if you distance yourself from that, it's a damn good album. I mean, there are some great songs on there. So yeah, I think my hometown is an absolutely uh, a great choice for a best song and everything. Yeah. What do we think our Cowboys are going to (laughs) do? Did you see the McCarthy quotes about the defense today? Yeah, I did. Uh, He's, I, I mean, as the head coach, it would be pretty foolish for you to say we've completely flipped this defense in one season yeah. If you didn't truly believe that. Yeah. And uh, the truth is if the offense is anywhere near as good as it was last year, yeah. when Dak was healthy minus the, the deluge of turnovers that they had in the first couple of games, yeah, which were fluky, especially the fumbles by Zeke, because that's not his thing. Exactly. Or at least it never had been. Um, if the defense is even average, this team is really good. I, um, I, I'm I'm watching Hard Knocks and I'm loving this British, def, yeah, yeah, that yeah. defensive line coach. I mean, just it just it is yeah. hilarious because 
you know, we all love Ted Lasso. Yes. And so it's kind of, and he kind of rolled his eyes. So like, yeah, yes. I don't want to talk about Ted Lasso, but, but uh, as much as he may not want to talk about it, it is the, the inverse of Ted Lasso. It is. Ted Lasso is the football coach that goes to the UK to yeah. coach soccer. And this guy is the British guy who comes over to the U S to coach football. Yeah. It's bizarre. It but is. It's easy. I mean, I like the guy. Yeah, I do too. And I'm, I'm, I hoping, um, you know, um, one of the fun things, um, is obviously Bruce has a huge fan base in the Northeast. So there is plenty of giants fans and Philly fans. And, you know, so, um, and in fact, um, one of the listeners, you know, tweeted something about, um, governor abbott or something he goes another reason to hate the cowboys and i go wait ho ho and and he says no i'm just tongue-in-cheek he says we actually hate philly more you know he's a giants fan and so um it is it's always fun and uh i have been told by a couple of people that you know i can't believe i'm friends with a cowboy fan i'm like well that bruce brings it all together so okay, yeah. you just tell him uh, one of the one of the people that used to work for you is a yeah. massive cowboy fan and she married a philly fan yes she, yes she did married she, you can pull off a friendship marriage is a different yeah, story. that is awful yes that is always the example of a mixed marriage yeah. all right uh gary so um if you are listening to this and you're gary's family and uh so you don't normally listen to this podcast thank you uh the mary question i end every show with this uh jay armstrong is an honors english teacher in the philadelphia area he just recently retired and um he would spend two days with his seniors breaking apart thunder road looking at the imagery look at the lyrics talk about it and at the end of the two days he asks his class does mary get in the car at the end of thunder road yep. so gary that's your that's the only homework i give to someone normally so uh, and it's very funny i have a i have a lady that's going to join me in a couple of weeks and she emailed back like does it have to be a bruce song and i'm like this is my shtick. You know, I, I ask this question to everyone. So yeah. Gary. All right. So I've heard Thunder Road many times before. I mean, it's yeah. a good, it's a good song that's get that always still get radio play if you're listening to classic rock stations. Yeah. Um, I know having looked at lists over the years, that even beyond just being one of his best songs, that it's thought of very, very highly in terms of uh, rock songs in general. Yes. Uh, forever. Yeah. In and fact, a part of that is the way it's written. Go ahead. Babe Laufenberg and I think Tim Callishaw were on the ticket saying Born to Run is his greatest song. And I can't remember which one said, well, I think Thunder Road may have something to say about that. I mean, you right. know, so yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. It is considered an icon. But now having said that. Yeah. I've never really paid attention to the lyrics. Lots and lots and lots of the music that I listen to, I just listen and I either yes. enjoy it or I don't. Right. Okay. But I used to do what you're talking about with the, uh, the teacher. Yeah. I had a teacher in high school uh, that we used to do that um, every day. Somebody would bring in a song. She would play it for the class. And then we would all take notes while the song was going on. We didn't have lyrics to go off of. 
we would take notes while the song was going on and we would all write about what the song kind of meant. And so we were, we were doing that kind of breakdown when I was in high school. So I know, I know teachers that do that kind of thing. And I always had a lot of fun doing it. Oh, I, I, I would love that. I had never done this with this song. And unfortunately, because my meeting ran long today, generally speaking, I'm done around three thirty, four o'clock. Yeah. And then I'm online until maybe five or six um, in case anybody in Reno needs anything, but I'm not really doing much. And so I had fully intended to break this thing down, listen to it, look at the okay. lyrics while I'm listening. Um, and I only got to go through it twice. Okay. So these are very rudimentary notes, but the first thing that I noticed, and, and I know I'll say, I want to preface this by saying uh, what I'm going to say, I think seems pretty obvious, but I also think that if you consider the fact that this was written in 1975 not not 2021 yeah that um there was less of a formula doing stuff back then than there probably is today absolutely okay so obviously he's talking to the girl mary on the porch trying to talk her into coming out with him now that's a very direct line of thinking when i when when you read the lyrics or listen to the lyrics of the song but it feels like when he's singing that he, he's talking about something bigger, like Mary might not be a person named Mary, but Mary might be something symbolic of just like life. Like yeah. she's up on the porch and he's trying to get her to take a chance. You've turned all these other guys away. Um, at some point you're going to want to take a chance and yeah, I'm not perfect. I'm no hero. Right. Um, but you got to step off the porch and take a chance to see what's out there. You can't, you can't case heaven or what did you say? Case, uh, case. Oh, what's the lyrics? Come on, Jesse, you should admit it. Oh, okay. He says he's casing something. It's not heaven, but casing the promised land. Yeah. Casing the promised land is heaven is out there you got to go look at it you got to go see how to get there you got to go yeah. check this thing out it's like he's trying to coax her into going with him so the one is the very literal meaning which is the boy shows up and is trying to talk the girl into hey you don't know what's out there i don't know what's out there let's just go find out yes and then there's the the bigger deeper thing which is sort of him just inviting either the you the listener or the uh, or it maybe even himself to start your life to to do yes. to do something yes so I, I picked up some of that i wish i'd had a little more time to read the lyrics and think about it a little bit yeah. but that's that's the part of things that the big question is did she get in the car yeah and i don't know um I'm, i haven't heard you talk about this but i'm going to tell you what i think okay. i think the answer is obviously yes yeah obviously she got in the car and here's my reasoning you don't write songs about not getting in the car. <laughs> yes. Like she, it says there were ghosts in the, in the eyes of all the boys you sent away. Yeah. That's all they get. They yes. don't get a whole song because she right. didn't get in the car. Yeah. This instance, it's like when you watch a movie and you're like, oh, sure. All those events just lined up for this thing to happen perfectly. Yeah. That's why it's a movie. Because if those things didn't line up and this thing didn't happen, what, what would the story be? Yeah. So what would this song be if she didn't get in the car? Yeah. 
So yeah, in, in my my take was absolutely she got the call. Yeah, he has said that often in interviews that uh, you know Thunder Road was the invitation to join him on a journey, and you know so the Born to Run album is a journey. So yeah, I think there is absolutely, um, and and I was asked, you know the breakdown and it's about 60 40 about 60 percent people say she gets in the car about 40 percent say she doesn't that either she you know there's a couple of people like you know uh i ain't a beauty ain't all right f you boy i'm moving on or she's just afraid and i think you you said it really well gary i believe the song is like in many things you have to you have to take a chance you have to you have to choose something and and you know the doors open but the ride ain't free you know and so you have to and it's a it's it's scary to take a choice it's scary to go to um canada to work on something you know or to to get in a relationship right and so i i absolutely agree with you and uh well said sir that was very good Thanks. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. All right. Uh, Gary, if someone wants to reach you, how can they? Uh, on Twitter at travel underscore cowboy. Okay. And uh, you can hear Gary and I on how many we try to do a couple episodes a month and uh, we, and who knows what we'll talk about. So uh, Gary, this is absolutely a treat. Thank you so much. Um, it is uh, so much fun to visit with you and and I love your stories and I appreciate you taking time visiting with me uh, tonight. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. All right, listeners, you please stay safe, wear a mask, go get vaccinated. Let's get back to normal um, because, you know, we've got concerts to go to and we have sporting <laughs> events to watch and, uh, and we just are we're, we're tired of wearing a mask at the office. So uh, for now, take care. We will talk to you soon. Goodbye. Thanks. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlessingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at SetLustingBruce, and my personal Twitter is at DFW. We have a website, www.setlustingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts, as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Brew shirts, as well as a Mary Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, 
fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listening Bruce. Set Listening Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.